0: Hey, folks. This is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Brittany Divine.
1: I was worried that me getting up and leaving would be awkward, even though there was a man on the floor fucking a sex doll. <laughs>
0: that and more. But first, do you work with a team? Maybe you own a small business and have several staff members, or maybe you work in a big corporation, but your department has a specific focus. Or maybe you lead some sort of grassroots group of folks pursuing any kind of shared goal. The customized workshops that we create for businesses and other organizations over at thestorystudio.org are really without compare. I can't tell you how many people from the workshops that we've done for Google, Pfizer, Citibank, USA Today, NYU, Princeton, Zendesk, I can't tell you how many of these clients have told us that they've taken team building workshops before or communication workshops before, but that they've never had the nitty gritty nuts and bolts techniques taught to them that we teach for how to tell a good story in work situations. People just aren't used to walking away from corporate workshops feeling so clear about precisely how to grab people's attention, how to make them care about something, convince them to take action, leave them with an impression they won't forget. That's the amazing work we do at thestorystudio.org. So tell your boss or tell your team to consider a custom-tailored Story Studio workshop. There was one client in particular who told us they know they've made millions based on what they learned through us. So be sure to reach out to us over at thestorystudio.org.
2: Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master new skill.
0: Hello, kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison. This is Billy Cobham behind me now. And we are calling this week's episode Scams. They're all around us at any time. Before we start up here, I wanted to ask a question, though. Are you, listener, a therapist? Or do you know a therapist who loves storytelling shows? Reach out to me at KevinAtRisk-Show.com, our new podcast called Real, which is coming in February of 2022. Every now and then on that show, we think it might be interesting to record conversations with narrative therapists or Jungian therapists who focus on, you know, like the hero's journey and story archetypes or social workers who work with personal narrative construction in their counseling. Anyone out there with education around and clinical experience focused on the psychology of stories, reach out to me at, at risk showcom If that sounds interesting to you, let's get to our first story now. This one comes to us from Brittany Devine, who is herself a social worker and a photographer. You can find her at bdivinephotography.com. Now, what's interesting is this was recorded at a Risk Live show in Portland, Oregon, in 2017. And this was just... Four months before the Harvey Weinstein story broke in the New York Times, you know that this movie mogul had been harassing and and uh, sexually assaulting women working in the film industry uh, and then right on the heels of that, the me too hashtag took off and the solidification of a whole movement there so this story is a dark comedy and remains so but the darkness of it is interesting to think of considering all the consciousness raising that happened only four months after this was recorded so without further ado Here is Brittany Devine at the Risk Live show in Portland in 2017 for the story we call An Actor Prepares.
1: years ago i was in a church basement there were pictures up on the walls that little kids had drawn there were colorings of sheep and of jesus and i was sitting on a hard metal folding chair there was about 10 of us we were seated in a semicircle and there was a man on the floor in front of us who was in his boxers and he was fucking a sex doll And he was making eye contact with each of us, and he had this sort of devious look in his eyes, and he's looking at everyone, and he's gyrating on this doll, and then he said, I know this is weird, but I'm actually getting hard right now. (laughs) And my butt cheeks were clenched and my hands were tight and my toes were curled and the body heat was rising and i was just thinking how come every time i ever try to do something associated with acting it always turns out to be some kind of weird sleazy thing like this and "Ah, i just need to leave i just need to get out of here but i didn't i stayed there because I was worried that me getting up and leaving would be awkward, even though there was a man on the floor fucking a sex doll. (laughs) So this was two years ago. It was the spring of 2015. I was struggling to finish up my Bachelor of Arts degree from Portland State University, and I was getting a minor in theater, and... My attempts at an acting career had been disheartening. I was hitting a lot of dead ends. I'd had an agent when I first moved to Portland and he later turned out to be a registered sex offender. Um, So I read an ad on Craigslist for a SAG Screen Actors Guild affiliated acting workshop and it seemed like a good way to network and to meet people and it was free. So I thought, why not? I didn't realize that it was in a church basement until I got there. That was not advertised. Most of the students, I'd say, were around my age. This guy was sitting there, and he was looking at his watch and saying, man, you know, this class was supposed to start 10 minutes ago. Where the hell is the teacher? Should we all just get up and leave? But then he jumped up, and he said, just kidding, guys. I'm the teacher. And (laughs) that was an improv. That's acting. And... And we all, we kind of gave some polite applause, and I thought it was a little bit hokey, but I thought, okay, I'll go along with it. So um, this man and then one other guy were the instructors of this workshop, and they were both, I'd say, probably in their 30s, and they had us go around the room and tell a little bit about ourselves, why we were there, and there was one older lady, her name was Betty, she was probably about 70, and she said that she liked to sing and play the piano at nursing homes, so acting just seemed like another natural extension of that. But I quickly realized that this was not an acting workshop that was focusing on the craft of acting but rather these two guys giving us the lowdown on Hollywood and the insider scoop on what you have to do to make it. So uh, my first clue that something was amiss with this class um, was when they had two people come up to the front of the room and they had them read lines from the movie The Room. Uh, LAUGHTER which is famous for just being really horrible. And I was thinking out of all of the millions of scripts, why would they choose something with this dialogue? And it didn't seem like they were doing it in an ironic sort of way. So these two people read a few lines um, and then One of the teachers was really overly enthusiastic, and he was running around, he was clapping his hands, and he was saying, yeah, yeah, that was awesome, yeah! And he had his hands up, he was pretending to film them. He had his hands shaped like a little video camera, Uh, but we actually were really being filmed. We had to sign release forms at the beginning of the class, so they had cameras set up on tripods. Um in the corner of the room, and then they would have a slate, which is where when you go to an audition, you stand in front of the camera, and you say your name, and the role that you're auditioning for, and you say who your agent is, if you have one. So they would have us come up, and we would slate, and then they would say things like, okay, I'm Quentin Tarantino. Show me your tits. And they were just escalating the situation and they would start yelling and saying, you guys think that this doesn't happen all the time? You think that people aren't asked to sleep with directors constantly, huh? Yeah, because it happens all the time. And then one of the teachers said, he said, you know, I used to have a moral compass, but that didn't get me anywhere. Now I'll do anything. I'll fuck anyone. And then the other teacher chimed in and he said, yeah, you know, When you're getting paid $60,000 a day to be an extra on Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, so what if Johnny Depp wants you to do some weird shit with his booty hole? Your wife is just going to have to understand. But then a few minutes later, he said that he was making $15,000 a day being an extra, licking Johnny Depp's booty hole. Um... (laughs) and he had just said 60,000, so things were just getting more muddled and strange. (laughs) And then they brought out a little fake prop bag of cocaine. They had this little baggie filled with baking soda, and they poured it out on the table, and they would make students come up and pretend to snort cocaine. And they were yelling at us, and it was like they wanted to intimidate us, and it was like they were part of a Scared Straight video. And, you know, they would say, ''You think that Coke isn't everywhere in Hollywood, huh?'' And then when it was my turn to go up, they held up the little baggie, and uh, they said, ''Okay, I'm James Cameron. I need you to run this down to Julio for me.'' And I was really embarrassed, even though I shouldn't have been, because everyone, I think, was very uncomfortable. And my voice was shaking, and I said, "Um, no, uh, I'm sorry, I'm I'm not going to do that. I'm I'm not going to bring this down to Julio. And then... The guys were looking around and they kind of, you know, their hands are folded and they're nodding and like they want to make an example out of me. And they said, okay, all right, well, you know, everybody's got their limits and, uh, you know, some people are going to make it, some people are going to go far and, you know, other people aren't. So, all right, all right. They had us all come up and act out in front of a fake green screen and they said, okay, you're in front of a green screen and now you're having sex with a monkey, and we'd have to pantomime that we're having sex with a monkey. And there was a lot of timid, awkward laughter from the class, a lot of nervous looks. Um, You know, everybody sort of reluctantly going along, like, you really want me to do this? And then they were saying, have you heard of the Illuminati? Have you heard of Scientology? There's a lot of secret societies in Hollywood that you're gonna have to join. And then for the big grand finale, they brought out the sex doll. And I don't know where they were keeping this thing. I don't know if it was shoved in a closet at the Sunday school classroom with some crucifixes or something. Um but they brought out the sex doll and the guy who said that he would do anything and he would fuck anyone, he was unbuttoning his shirt really slowly and he's, you know, sipping down his pants and he's looking at everybody and he's got this sly smile on his face and that's when he got down to his boxers and was humping the sex doll and said, you know, I'm getting hard right now. And then they made some of the students take turns with the sex doll because they said nudity and sex scenes are a really big part of the film industry so if you're not willing to do this you're never gonna make it and Betty sweet little Betty who liked to sing and play piano at the nursing homes she had to take a turn making out with the sex doll and she was being a good sport and she said something like well (laughs) you know at at least it's not as bad as my (laughs) ex-husband And the whole thing was just very uncomfortable. When I was leaving this church basement and I was coming back out into the sunlight, it felt like I was exiting the twilight zone. I was talking with someone that had just been in this workshop We were both saying that was so strange and we were both saying that we felt like at some point someone was going to run out and say, ah, you've been pranked, this is a hidden camera show, this is a reality TV show, but that never happened. (laughs) And still to this day, I don't know where that footage is. Um, I never learned the name of those two men, so I don't know if they actually were associated with the Screen Actors Guild. I don't know if it was something more sinister, if they are trying to prove how evil Hollywood is, if they blackmail people with this. I have no idea where that footage is. It's probably floating around cyberspace somewhere. But as we were talking, um, one of the guys who said that he'd done really well, one of the teachers, and he said that he'd made a lot of money and he was really famous in certain circles, I saw him get into his car and drive away and he turned the key and it made a lot of noise and there was rust on the side of the car and it was just a real piece of shit (laughs) I called the car the $500 Craigslist special in the next few days as I was reflecting on everything that had happened I was disappointed that I'd hit another dead end and you know I'd had another encounter with a sleazy person Um, but I was thinking you know at least I'm honest with myself I'd rather know that I'm not going to make it or that I haven't made it rather than convincing myself that I'm a lot more successful than I really am. And I'd rather focus on the craft and the artistry of acting rather than becoming so obsessed with fame and wealth that I need to tell people in a church basement that if they want to become a star, they need to join the Ill- Illuminati and lick Johnny Depp's asshole. LAUGHTER Thank you.
4: Was a midwestern boy on his own. She looked at him with those soft eyes, so innocent and blue. He knew right then he was too far from home.
5: He was too far from She took his hand and she led him along that golden beach
4: They watched the waves tumble over the sand They drove for miles and miles on those twisting, turning roads
0: This is Risk, this is Bob Seeger behind me now, and we just heard from Brittany Devine, who you can find at bdivinephotography.com. Folks, there is a book that has come to mean so much to me in the past couple of years. It just never ceases to amaze me how much wisdom and support are between this book's covers. The book is Grief Day by Day by Jan Warner, Simple Practices and Daily Guidance for Living with Loss. Now, full disclosure, Jan Warner is a very dear friend of mine. When Jan shared the story of the loss of her beloved husband, Artie, in my storytelling class a decade ago, I was so blown away that the two of us ended up becoming really good friends. Now, Jan has a background in therapy, But that's not the only way she gained all the insights you'll find in grief day by day. Jan Warner started a Facebook group called Grief Speaks Out, which has almost 2.5 million likes and followers from all over the world who share about how they're coping with the loss of a spouse or a child or a sibling or even a pet. Listen, my father passed away... In July of 2020, and I can admit right now, I am still processing that. You know, what I love about this book, Grief Day by Day, is that it's so real. There's a lot of real talk in it, open to any page. And there are insights about the joy of remembering the good times or the wildness of mood swings or the love you share with others while you're grieving or the unhealthier coping mechanisms or numbness or the exhausting overwhelm from dealing with so much. You know, since my father died, my mother has gone through grief day by day twice already, and I think she's going to go for a third time through. It's that full of love and genuinely surprising insights and encouragement. Not to mention quotes from some of the greatest writers of all time on the many, many aspects of grief. So, wherever books are sold, go get Grief Day by Day. Simple Practices and Daily Guidance for Living with Loss by Jan Warner. Folks, if you like good old-fashioned true crime mysteries, if you like stories where you feel like you're a detective finding clues, June's Journey is the name of this new game that you can play on your iPhone or your Android. You are uncovering the mystery of June's sister's murder. It's this well-to-do family in the 1920s living in a Great Gatsby-like mansion. Each scene uncovers new aspects of the story. Some parts are in New York. Some parts are in Paris. There's all kinds of objects you're finding and trying to assess whether they're meaningful or not. You collect information, filling out your own photo album, and you're keeping track of all the characters. There's romance. There's scandalous family secrets. It feels like a really fun play or movie. And I've only made it through, like, five scenes, but I am told you could crack the case. All you need is an internet connection and downloading on iOS or Android. So discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android.
1: Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey... (sighs)
0: Okay, let's get to our final story today. This one comes from Risk favorite Oz Dusselay. When he's not telling incredible stories like this one, Oz is an expert on data management. Should check out his YouTube channel, Excel on Fire. But here he is now to take us on a little journey back in time. This is Oz Dusselay with a story we call. There, but for the grace.
4: 1983. I'm 19 years old. I've got my boom box and I am standing on a corner in Waukegan, Illinois, waiting for a bus. And I'm gonna go downtown Waukegan, transfer to another bus, and then head out to a mall. I'm just having a nice, chill day. And Waukegan is this small town of 68,000 people, and it's about 50 miles north of Chicago. And here comes the bus, the 568. I get on it, and it is crowded. There's some seats near the back. So I'm walking back, 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 and there are people behind me that had gotten on the bus. And in the back of the bus, those seats, there's about five, six seats that face forward. In one of those seats, there's this skinny guy in a jerry curl with a suit jacket on. And as I get closer and closer, his eyes are getting bigger and bigger. And then he starts smiling and he says, hey, man, I ain't seen you in so long. I don't think he's talking to me because I don't recognize him. He's got to be talking to somebody behind me. So I turn and look and in the bus aisle right behind me, there's this huge bald guy, like maybe six foot four, a whole foot taller than me. And he looks down at me. You talking to you, brother. And I turn back and look at the guy with the jerry curl. Hey, man, how you doing? I said, I'm all right. And I sit down in one of the seats next to him, one of those seats, that faces inward toward the aisle. I'm sitting there and the guy says, man, I, 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 your mother, your mother's now, I, I can't remember. Mary, Mary, how's Mary doing, man? She was always so nice to me and it's so glad to see you. How's Mary doing? Mary's all right. She's all right. She's, uh, she, I think she's at home right now, but yeah, she's good. And how you doing, man? How, I forget, what, what was your name again? Ah, uh, ah, oh man, how do I forget that? How you doing? Well, I'm just uh, going out to the mall, taking classes at the College of Lake County. You know, not a whole lot. Oh man, you're going to college. That's good. That's good. The conversation dies down and I'm thinking, I don't recognize this guy. But this area is one of those small areas where people know each other in the most direct or indirect ways. My mother and I could be at a grocery store and there'll be some random woman. Hey, and she calls us by name. And then my mother has to tell me later, oh, she used to live upstairs from your uncle a few years ago over on 22nd Street. Okay, well, I'm glad I didn't say, who the hell are you? But here I am right now on the bus going to the mall. But then this skinny guy taps his knee against my knee. I look up at him and he gestures and he says, watch this, watch this. And he pivots toward that big bald guy who was now sitting next to this guy with the jerry curl. And the guy with the jerry curl pulls a magazine out of his jacket, puts it on his lap, pulls out three cards, and he shuffles the cards around. Three card money, I've seen this before. If you don't know, three card money is three playing cards. One of them is typically a red queen, and the other two are black cards, a, a spade or uh, clubs and the idea is the player puts up some money and the cards get shuffled and the player is supposed to keep their eye on where they think that red card is even with the dealer shuffling really fast because once the shuffling stops, the player is supposed to point to where they believe that red queen is. It's also a hustle. I've been told not to play this game. And so this big, bald guy, he said, yeah, man, yeah, man, I want to play. I want to play. And he pulls out $5. And the guy with the jerry curl and the cards, he shuffles the cards, boom, boom, boom. And then the bald guy points, the middle card, flip it over, black card. The guy says, damn. And then the guy with the cards, he looks towards me. I said, this brother knows where it is. I said, yeah, I know where it is. It's over on the other end. Flip it over, boom, Yep. That was the Red Queen. So the guy says, hey, you want to you want some of this? I said, no, 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 no. I've seen this on TV and not only TV, but I had been warned about when I would be going to Chicago. I had seen stories, you know, about New York City, people in parks and on sidewalks. But they approach with, hey, you want to win some money. It's already kind of this adversarial thing. Win, lose, win, lose. But this guy is in the back of a bus in Waukegan, Illinois. Sometimes these guys on TV, they would have rhymes. You know, while they're shuffling, they would say, find the honey, win some money. You pick black too bad for you, Jack. This guy had no rhymes. So, maybe he sucks at this. Maybe he thinks he's better than he really is at hustling people. But I decide it's best for me to just leave this alone. But the guy says, okay, okay, I'm going to give you one for free. Shuffle the cards, boom, boom, boom. I point, flip it over, Red Queen. I would have won something. He says, come on, man, let's do it for real. And he pulls out this wad of money that he couldn't even get his fingers around. It was in a big roll. Ooh, wow. And he says, come on, man, put up the boom box and I'm putting up all I got and we'll do this one for real. I said, no, no, no. Now see, my boom box cost me $300 in 1983. I had that thing on layaway forever and it had the dual cassettes, high gloss silver finish on it. It was beautiful. I was not putting that up. He said, all right, man, let me give you another free one. I said, okay. He shuffled the cards, boom, boom, boom. I point, flip it over, red queen. And now I'm starting to think, Waukegan, small town, city bus. I've won two, maybe I'll play but I'm not putting up the radio. And the bald guy, he jumps in and says, hey, can me and this brother put our money together? Yeah, y'all can put your money together. I'm saying, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. Put our money together. No, I'm not putting our money together. And the guy with the card says, all right, you want to put up all you got? I'm putting up all I got. I said, no, I'm not putting up the radio. He says, how about the watch? Oh. The watch that I paid $25 for just three days ago against that big wad of money. And I've won two already, but I know not to play this game. (sighs) Okay. All right, I'm putting up the watch. All right, brother, here we go. Shuffle the cards around. Boom, boom, boom. I point, flip over. Black card. Damn. So now I reach to take off my watch and I'm convinced this guy does not know my mother and I am into something that I never should have gotten into. But I want my watch back. And the guy with the cards, he says, all right now, let's play for the radio, all right? I said, no, I'm not playing for the radio. The ball guy, hey, Can we put our money together? I'm not putting my money together with you. So we get to downtown Waukegan and this is where we are gonna transfer buses. I need to get off the bus so I can walk across to another block and get on another bus. And Waukegan is the kind of place where all of the buses come into downtown at the top of the hour and everybody gets about 15 minutes to walk and transfer buses and then all the buses leave and there is not a lot happening in Waukegan when those buses are gone until the top of the hour when they all come back. So now we've pulled into downtown. Everybody stands up. We file out of the bus, and these two guys, they follow me. And I walk to the bus that I need to get on. The guy with the cars taps me, say, hey, brother, let me get me another chance. Come on. I'm, I'm angry. I'm sad because my watch is gone. I'm confused, but then I wanna catch this bus and I still, I'm wondering, is there any chance that I can win my watch back and still make this bus? But I'm beginning to feel this guy's demeanor change. He's starting to get impatient with me and we take the game out onto the sidewalk. And he stoops down and he's got the cards down on the sidewalk on top of this magazine. He said, all right, all right, we gotta do it for real this time. I'm putting up all I got, you put up all you got, you got the radio, all right, here we go. Shuffle the cards, boom, boom, boom. I said, no, no, I am not putting up the radio. I just want my watch back. And I'm feeling pained inside because now I'm thinking how can people do this. You know, he's got to have a heart somewhere. And I said, look, what would I have to put up just to get my watch back? But he's starting to get a bit forceful now. No, man, I ain't playing for that watch. I want the radio. No, I'm not putting up the radio. All right, here we go. And he shuffles the cards again. And he says, all right, Where's the Red Queen? I said, no, I am not putting up the radio. And his gesture is like, he's tired of fucking with me. I said, look, I just want my watch back. All right, man, $20, you got $20? I said, yeah, I got $20. All right, I put up the $20 and I'm trying to pay attention to the bus that I need to catch because, you know, if I miss my bus, I got to wait an hour for another bus. All right, put up the $20. He shuffles the cards, boom, boom, boom. I point, black card. God damn, He's got the $20. He said, all right, man, this one's for the radio. And I hear the bus that I need close its doors and start to roll off. And I think real fast, I need to be done with this and get on this bus, just give up the watch, but he's shuffling the cards, he's talking about, you put up all you got, cause I'm putting up all I got, and the bald guy is talking about us putting our money together and maybe I can get my watch back, but I'm gonna have to miss this bus and well, I could find something to do over the next hour if I do miss the bus, but maybe I'll have my watch back. Ah! Before the bus can get too far away, I pound the side of it, it stops. The doors pop open. I rush in the doors, pay my fare, and sit down. As the bus rolled away, I could see those two guys through the bus window. They were walking back the opposite way. And for the whole 45-minute ride out to the mall, I was kicking myself. This was something I never should have gotten involved with. I've lost this watch that I had for less than a week. I can't even tell anybody about how stupid I was and what happened. I'd never live it down, but at least they did not get my boom box. I was not that stupid. A few months later, news is beginning to circulate about a nine-year-old girl that's missing. And one afternoon, I'm sitting in the living room, doing my homework. I look up at the TV and immediately, I recognize the face of the guy from the bus. So I go turn up the volume on the TV and the announcer's saying, Alton Coleman, 28 years old, is wanted for questioning in the disappearance of a nine-year-old girl. And he had befriended a guy that previous day, stayed the night at the guy's house. The guy loaned Alton Coleman in his car and he's never been seen again. And I recognized him. That's the guy from the bus. And a few days later, Alton Coleman was sighted. Alton Coleman molested two girls, killed one of them, stomped one of them to death and the other one got away and now he's got an accomplice this woman named Deborah Brown. As I learned more about Alvin Coleman up to the time that I had met him he had already been on trial for rapes that he was acquitted of but he had done some prison time for rapes And while he was in prison, he raped three men. So up to that moment in 83, with that three card money, he had raped nine people between the ages of 14 and 22. But now he was on the news daily. He and Deborah Brown, and they were going around Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, Michigan, Kentucky, killing, raping, car theft, kidnapping. And every time there was a new story, I would think about my interaction and how he got close to all these people. One situation was in Ohio where he and Deborah Brown pulled up on bicycles to ask the Walters couple, about a camper that they were selling. Alton and Deborah sat with them for hours talking and laughing. The Walters couple in their 40s, they made coffee, they drank coffee together. And when Mr. Walters went in the house and upstairs to go find the title for the camper, that's when Alton Coleman bludgeoned Mrs. Walters, hit her 25 times with a wooden candlestick. And when Mr. Walters came back, they stabbed him and beat him with the candlestick and left him for dead. He survived, but he's got permanent brain damage. There was an elderly couple in their 70s. The husband was a reverend. Deborah and Alton went to church with this couple. The couple gave them a ride somewhere and Deborah And Alton went off into Kentucky, where they beat the hell out of somebody, stole his car, and came back to this reverend's home. But the reverend recognized him at this point. And he says, why are you doing this to us? And Alton says, all right, we usually kill him wherever we go, but we're not going to kill you. But Alton and Deborah did tie him up and pistol whipped him and stole a car. Then they went through Indiana, killed a college professor, stole his car. And Deborah and Alton were eventually arrested in a park in Evanston, Illinois, on the 20th of July, 1984. And that was the end of a really weird time of everybody in the Midwest just watching this. We didn't know where Alton and Deborah were going, what they were doing. Everybody was on guard. So Alton Coleman was executed by the state of Ohio in April of 2002. And Deborah Brown is in prison in Indiana, life without the possibility of parole. And today I'll look at comments under documentaries and stories about Alton Coleman. And people will say, how could so many people be so stupid? There was a detective in one documentary about Alan Coleman, and she says that he had a charm about him. He could be likable. And that is a scary kind of a criminal. They don't just jump out of the bushes. They don't come out and say, hey, I'm gonna kill you, get ready. No. They say, hey, I ain't seen you in a long time. Or they ride up on a bicycle, and have coffee with you for hours. They know how to get your guard to come down. In response to this question about how can so many people be so stupid, I say, there but for the grace of God go I.
0: This week's episode, folks, this is Tom Waits behind me now, and we just heard from Oz Du Soleil. Jeff Barr and Taj Easton did most of the editing on that one. I believe David Crabb did the story coaching on that one. Yep, that's correct. And Cindy Freeman over at pitches at risk show.com called my attention to the story in the first place. I am so, so grateful to our outstanding team. Bunch of people who are always going above and beyond. And you can meet a lot of us if you come on out to Caveat on December 15th. That is our final live risk show of the year, 7 p.m. Eastern. It'll also be live streamed on YouTube. You can get your tickets at Risk show.com slash tour folks as you might know we had a bit of an existential crisis past couple of years here at risk just kind of a waterfall of financial shocks and all kinds of minor challenges had us thinking we might have to bring our 12 years of work on this show to an end But we scrambled and we scraped. We slashed everyone's pay. We let some folks go. Some folks left because they felt they had to. And you know how it is. You you find yourself attempting to see if one person can do the job of several people and so on and so on. But we're still standing. And we're still brainstorming every single week on how to keep Risk running. And one thing that has made a huge difference is the support of our fans over at Patreon.com slash Risk. If you become a member there, there's tons of bonus content. And you will know that you really are helping to keep the creation of this show happening. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash risk. And if you want to make a one-time donation, that's at paypal.me slash risk show. And folks, did you know that you can hire me personally for storytelling training? You can come and find me at Kevin Allison. Com. And follow risk on all of our socials on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We're at risk show. And on Twitter and Instagram, I'm at the Kevin Allison. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk. Pass
4: Who the hell are you? Ooh, wow. Who the hell are you? I don't think he's talking to me because I don't recognize him. He's got to be talking to somebody behind me. So I turn and look. There's this huge bald guy. And he looks down at me. You talking to you, brother? What was your name again? Oh, man, how do I forget that? Oh, man, you're going to college. That's good. That's good. Maybe he sucks at this. Okay, well, I'm glad I didn't say, Who the hell are you? Ooh, wow. Who the hell are you? Ooh, wow. Who the hell are you? Ooh, wow. Who the hell are you?